Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker, and with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're on a quest to learn what the Bible teaches about theological topics that many Christians find challenging, confusing, and out of their reach. And we're always aiming to do this in a way that applies to the lives we lead. We want to help you be strong in your faith doctrinally, knowledgeable in and of the word theologically, and grow in your love for Jesus and others exponentially. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, we want to thank you guys, our Kitchen Table Theology listeners, for leaving us ratings and reviews. We're so grateful for each one. That really is what helps us get the word out to more and more people about Kitchen Table Theology. So thank you for those. And hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians. As always, thank you for joining us. And just from the outset, again, let me apologize for my voice. I don't know what's going on. And this has been going on for quite a few weeks now, I feel like, maybe even more than a month. It gets better, then it gets worse. So we're on one of the bad days today. So hopefully it won't hurt your ears. It doesn't hurt me. It may be hurting your ears, but... (laughs) I hope not, but really, thank you for joining us. And today on the podcast, we'll be doing a brief overview of the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It's one of my favorite books. And as we begin, allow me to make a statement. And Kitchen Table Theologian, you you see what you think about it. Here it is. Truth and principle can be forgotten over time. Truth and principle can be forgotten over time. Any thoughts, Tiff? That's a great statement, something you wouldn't think of being put into words normally, but it's clearly in my life very true. (laughs) Things that I've learned in middle school, high school, college even. I used to teach math. All of those math principles, long gone. (laughs) I don't think I could come up with most of those again. So definitely truths and principles that we learn at previous points of our lives can easily be forgotten if we are not consistently remembering them or using them on a daily basis. Yeah, it's it's very true. And I'll give you an example. We're all familiar with Harvard University. Tiffany, I'm wondering, do you know why it was founded? What the original purpose of Harvard was? Have you ever heard that? So this is one of those truths that I have long forgotten. <laughs> we went to Boston a few years ago, and I remember you visited Harvard, I think, and I, you told us the story about this, how it was founded, why it was founded. But that's one of those things that I have forgotten. I feel like it had some sort of Christian basis in its foundation, but I definitely do not remember the story. So you share it with us. We've got it here. And that's, you're right. You're right on. With about 17,000 Puritans having migrated to New England by 1736, Harvard was founded in anticipation of the need for trained clergy in the new commonwealth. And as the American colonies were being peopled, of course, the religious freedom was probably the most prominent reason why people were coming here. And they felt there was just a tremendous need for trained clergy. Harvard was established in 1730, sorry, 1636. Can you imagine? And you can enter the campus. I'm sure many of our listeners, you have been perhaps on the 
Harvard campus, you can enter Harvard through a number of different gates. And one of the gates there is called the Johnston Gate. And if you're walking around Cambridge today, you can go to the Johnston Gates and inscribed on two tablets on, I, on the, the walls, just right there where the gates are, are these two, I think they're granite tablets, and they read as follows. And so, Tiff, how about putting on your best 1636 language Perfect. and reading it exactly how it's carved onto, the, onto those tablets? Brush up on my old English. Okay, here we go. After God had carried us safe to New England and we had builded our houses, provided necessaries for our livelihood, reared convenient places for God's worship, and settled the civil government, one of the next things we longed for and looked after was to advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present ministers shall lie in the dust. Right. What a way to say that. Dreading <laughs> to leave an illiterate ministry of the churches when our present minister shall lie in the dust. And of course, they all, they all do lie in the dust now. So yeah, that was the driving factor for the birth of Harvard was to train, train ministers. So keep going. And as we were thinking and consulting how to affect this great work, it pleased God to stir up the heart of one Mr. Harvard, a godly gentleman and a lover of learning then living amongst us, to give one half of his estate, it being in all about 1,700 pounds, towards the erecting of a college and all his library. So Harvard had a godly evangelical beginning, but truth and principle can be forgotten over time. And today, you would be very hard-pressed to find many faculty at all who would even be sympathetic to the Christian gospel. You're much more likely to find those who are dead set against it. And in this case, the university forgot why it was started. And I'm guessing that this goes hand in hand. I think I see where you're going here with this. Our truth and principle can be forgotten over time. But this is going to go hand in hand with why Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, it does. One more thing about Harvard on their seal. The seal, it contains the word veritas, the word truth in Latin. And in the middle of the seal for centuries, there was a book. And the book was open, but it was fixed down. And what that represented was the fact that we can only know so much, that we are limited. As human beings, we're limited. God knows everything. We can only know some things. Mm -hmm. Well, in our lifetimes, they have flipped the book over. And now the book on the Harvard Seal is an open book, inferring that we can know all things. So wow. just another way to show you how far away they've gotten. But yeah, that all does go hand in hand with why Moses wrote Deuteronomy, uh, that truth and principle can easily be forgotten. So let's jump in. Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, which is in fact a collection of his sermons to Israel just before they crossed the river Jordan. So this comes at a really key, important time in the history of Israel. 
In verse 1, chapter 1, these are the words which Moses spoke. Now, someone else, Joshua, most likely may have written the last chapter because that recounts the death of Moses. But Moses was the one who penned the book of Deuteronomy. So if these sermons were given just before the Israelites crossed the Jordan, does that give us a time period about when the book of Deuteronomy would have been written? Yeah, and the cool thing is with these Old Testament books, we just assume that they cover dozens, if not hundreds of years sometimes. The book of Deuteronomy covers about a 40-day period, and that's all prior to them, Israel, entering the promised land that the first sermon was delivered, and they crossed the Jordan 70 days later. Now, when you read the last chapter, they, they spent 30 days in mourning after Moses died. And so we're left with just 40 days. It, was, it covers about a 40-day time period. We've already seen this a little bit, but here again, we see it. 40 days is really a strong theme throughout yeah. the entire Old Testament, isn't it? Yeah, and God really likes 40 days. Therefore, okay, so our best estimate of when the book was written would be around 1400 BC in there. We know who wrote it and when, but why exactly did Moses include this book in the Pentateuch? What was the purpose behind him writing it. We've clearly established that truth and principle can quickly be forgotten, but had the Israelites already forgotten the law by this time? There's a new generation now, a second generation. Since they started out in the wilderness, when they left Egypt, most, all those people had died. And now they're about to enter the promised land. So the multitude of people who made up the nation of Israel who have spent their entire lives wandering around in the wilderness, these people never personally experienced a miracle at the Red Sea or heard the law given by Moses at Sinai. And now they're about to enter into this new land with all kinds of dangers, all kinds of temptations. It's all going to be new to them. And the book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses to remind them not only of God's law, but of God's power and what God had done for them in the past. We know, actually, I just learned, I looked it up. The name Deuteronomy can also tell us a lot. I wonder if many of us kitchen table theologians know what the name Deuteronomy actually means or where that came from. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I think it's pretty interesting. Deuteronomy is a very, I mean, to English ears, it's a weird word, a weird name. And it's not Hebrew. And actually, the name Deuteronomy originates with two Greek words from the Septuagint, which we learned about, I think, three podcasts ago, two or three ago. We, we talked about the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the first time the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. And so when it was translated into Greek, it was given this name, Deuteronomy. So it's the translation of two Greek words, which is Deuteros, which means second, and Namion, which means law. So therefore, Deuteronomy means second law. So it's a reminder, it's a review of, of all we've read about and seen in the first four books of the Pentateuch. And this is the fifth and the final book. And it's the second giving 
of the law by Moses. It's not a replacement. So why a second time? The first generation, as I said, basically has died off. You've got Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. They've outlived them. Moses now is 120 years old. Joshua is the young guy. He's 80. And as I said, the book occurs within a one-month period, and it comes right before Moses died. So the second generation that this has been given to are those alive who have only known the wilderness wandering, only heard talk about the promised land, only heard of things that God did back in the day. So they're going to receive the law again from Moses before they take possession of the land God had promised their forefathers. You said it's a review, a reminder of all these things that we have read about and seen in the first four books of the Bible. Is this book laid out logically? Is it in order? Or is it just a mismatch of Moses remembering things that happened and then writing about it as he remembers them? Let's be real. You just said he was 120 years old. So is it all over the place or is it in order? Yeah, you'd think it would be all over the place. I'm <laughs> certainly not 120, but I can hardly put five sentences together in some kind of logical sequence some days. But you know what? The book lays out pretty simply. And as you study the book and turn to outside sources, you can find a myriad, as I did this in preparing for this podcast, just a myriad of different book outlines. Some of them are long, some of them are short. But let me share with you one very simple outline from a pastor named Skip Heitzig. He pastors a Calvary church, large church out in California. He says it's a review of the past, a requirement for the present, and readiness for the future. Review the past, requirements for the present, and readiness for the future. So real quick, just this review of the past, chapters one through four is all about what God has done. And Moses reminds them God's faithfulness, God's holiness, God's blessings, God's warnings. The first three chapters recap the trip from Egypt to where they currently are, and it's there in a place called Moab. And chapter four is a call to obedience, to be faithful to God who has been faithful to them. Then you move on to requirements for the present, and that's chapters 5 through 26. And they're a repetition of the law. That, that You read the Ten Commandments again. There's the sacrificial laws, the special days, the commemorative days, the festival days. All the rest of the laws are given to the second generation. And blessings are promised multiple times to those who obey. And famine is promised to those who break the law. So you've got a review of the past, a requirements for the present. And then in chapters 27 to 34, readiness for the future. So you, you continue to see this theme of blessing and cursing. This portion of the book ends with a clear choice set before Israel in chapter 30. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. That's God saying that. And in the final chapters, Moses encourages the people. He commissions his replacement, Joshua. And Moses records a song. Oh. He cuts a song. He wrote a song. I don't know. Many of us may have forgotten or maybe do not know. Even in the book of Psalms, there's 150 chapters in our book of Psalms. Moses wrote some of those. So this That's is nothing right. new for Moses to write a song. 
And then Moses gives his final blessing to each of the tribes of Israel. Chapter 34 is about the circumstances relating to Moses' death. And we find there he climbed Mount Pisgah, which is pretty impressive. At 120. At his age, yeah. <laughs> the Lord, and up there, the Lord showed him the promised land. He was able to see it, but he was not able to enter it. And so that also tells you at 120, he had pretty good eyesight. And he had enough strength physically to get up to the top of Mount Pisgah. And there he died, we're told, in the presence of the Lord. And then the book ends with a short obituary on the great prophet Moses. Additionally, there are a number of very important verses, and I think we should read at least two of them. So how about doing that for us? Absolutely. The first one is going to be Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And then, of course, you've got the what's called the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where parents are told to train their children. And then also, I think, some pretty key verses in chapter 32, verses 46 and 47. He said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. I think that verse, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. And that, to me, that has so much of the heart of the book of Deuteronomy right there. All this is being reviewed and reissued, as it were, to the second generation. And they're about to go into the promised land. They've only known Moses as their leader. Now he's going to be gone and Joshua's going to take them in. This is huge for all of the Israelites. And the words and the phrases that God gives them in this book had to sustain them and mm -hmm. are so powerful even to this very day. I agree. Yes. As we begin to wrap up today's podcast episode, Let's look at some of our theological themes that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. What have you got for us on theological themes? I think, as you can imagine, in 34 chapters, there's a bunch. <laughs> let's just quickly, as we start to wrap up, key in on four. The first, let's just call it the importance of God's word. Mm -hmm. The book of Deuteronomy underscores this. Now, the scriptures are a vital part of our lives. They were a vital part of the Israelites' lives. And although we're no longer under the Old Testament law, we are still responsible to obey and to submit to the will of God in our lives. And Deuteronomy reminds us theologically, simple obedience brings blessing. And conversely, sin has its own consequences. I find it very interesting to note that during the time of his testing in the wilderness, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy three times. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 4. But of all the things that, that he could talk about, or all the scripture, I should say all the scripture, he could have referenced three times he references the book of Deuteronomy. So to me, that just puts another major seal of approval on it and the fact that it is from God that Jesus quoted. And when he did that, he did it, Jesus, he did it from memory, which just reminds us again or illustrates again for us the necessity 
of hiding God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. So the importance of God's word. Mm -hmm. I think another incredibly important theme is the necessity of keeping perfectly the Mosaic law and the impossibility of doing that. And so there's a lot of theology in, in that the endless sacrifices necessary to atone for the sins of the people who break God's law again and again. They find their fulfillment in the final once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 10.10 mentions that. And because of Christ's atoning work on the cross, we no longer need sacrifice for sin. God choosing the Israelites as a special people, I think again points to Christ. It foreshadows his choosing of those who would believe in Christ, the church. So I think we, we see ourselves even in, in that. And in Deuteronomy 18, and you can, as you're reading through it, it's in the middle of the book and you can miss it. You're really not paying attention. But in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 19, Moses prophesies of another prophet, the ultimate prophet to come, who is the Messiah. And so you've got all that uh, and so much more in that book. So the first two themes, just to review, the importance of God's word. And you talked about, especially for us, the importance of memorizing that and the verse from Psalm 119 about hiding it in our heart. And then the second theme, the necessity of keeping perfectly the Mosaic law and the impossibility of us actually doing so, which even from way back in Deuteronomy, it points to our need for a savior and that foreshadowing that you talked about Christ coming and being the ultimate prophet. I think you said four. So how about give us another, the last two. So let's call this next one, lest you forget. That's right out of Deuteronomy 6.12. Watch yourselves, we read, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So remembering what God has done in the past gives us hope of what he can and will do in the future. And as Israel remembered God's faithfulness, we ought to remember that as well. You just start to think back, the crossing in the Red Sea, the holy presence of God, the Father at Sinai, the blessing of manna in the desert should be all encouragements to us as well. A great way to keep going forward is to take some time to look back and see what God has done. So you've got the theme of lest you forget. And then lastly, obedience always precedes blessings. Obedience always precedes blessings. God has promised so much good to his people. But over and over again, Moses tells the people that a failure to obey and remain faithful to God will nullify those blessings. And we see just one of these blessings in the beautiful picture of a loving God who desires a relationship with his children. He brings us into his family through Christ. The Lord names love as the reason that he brought Israel out of Egypt, quote, unquote, with a mighty hand and redeemed them. So love was the impetus to do all that for his people. And what a wonderful thing to be freed from the bondage of sin and loved by an all-powerful God. So these blessings flow out of our obedience and faithfulness to him. We don't ever want to forget him. We don't want to move away from the importance of his word. And we don't want to ever forget how necessary it is that we have a Savior. And I think we, saw, we see all of those things 
and so much more in the great, wonderful book of Deuteronomy. I agree. And you mentioned Deuteronomy 6, a chapter probably well known by all parents, but I feel like that also just really summarizes all four of those theological themes there. We are called to remember what God has done for us in the past. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And all of that is just so that we do not forget exactly what God has done for us. We remember his word and how important that is. And then in our obedience, we are given God's blessings, which is great. Thank you very much there for all of that. Any closing comments as we wrap it up? No, we've gone past our time probably. Just very quickly, Moses turned it over to Joshua. And then Joshua turned it over and they turned on and on it went. but. Moses also, and I think we should never forget, Moses also prophesied that God will one day raise up another one to lead Israel. And he's referring to the Messiah. And we understand that all the promises of God, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. And, And yet, even in our own generation, the global realization of God's promise is incomplete. So, We too should look to the past and remember the testimonies of all God has done in history and in our lives. And then presently, we must continue daily to remain faithful to him, to be diligent, to pass our faith and hope on to the next generation. Moses did that. He gives Mm -hmm. us a great example. And his charge to them at the end of Deuteronomy should also remind us of our charge in the Great Commission to go out into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And then he says, along with you always, even until the end of the age. But I think it's the book of Deuteronomy is just another reminder for us to remain faithful and then to help other people become faithful to Christ as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Kitchen Table Theology today. As always, thanks are due to our friends at Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, as well as the team at Streamline Podcasts for making all of this possible. Don't forget, you can check out today's episode notes and more at jeffcranston.com. If you ever have any questions, feel free to email us. It's pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. We invite you to come back next week as we continue our Bible overview series with the book of Acts. So until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. Thanks for joining us at the table. See you next week. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.